Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the readings for the Sunday of June 6, 2021. That's the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ. In times past, this solemnity was known as the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Body of Christ. Interesting fact is that there are only four cities in the whole world that are named Corpus Christi, and all of them are in the Western Hemisphere. I think that's a testimony to the fervor of the Spanish uh, people when they came to the New World to spread the gospel of Christ and Catholicism. The only one in the United States is Corpus Christi, Texas, and it's so named because it was discovered on the Feast of Corpus Christi in 1519. We have an opportunity uh, to rediscover, or perhaps discover the truth, beauty, and power of the body and blood of Christ. Let us all do this this year so that we may discover the power and the salvation that Jesus has given us through the Eucharist. The readings today are, are interesting in that uh, the first reading is from the Old Testament uh, in the book of Exodus, which is very early in the history of the Hebrew people. And then the gospel is an account of the uh, institution of the Eucharist. And then in the uh, second reading, it's from the book of Hebrews, which talks a lot about Jesus being the high priest. So let's start with Deuteronomy. Or pardon me, with Exodus chapter 24, verses 3 through 8. It says, When Moses came to the people and related all the words and ordinances of the Lord, they answered in one voice, We will do everything the Lord has told us. Well, we know from reading Scripture that they really didn't do that. They said that, and they're a lot like us in that way, in that they, they say one thing and they do something else. Uh, it's, it's one thing to be able to uh, say, I want to do that, and it's another thing to do it. Uh, we need to take a look at this, because this is uh, in, in Exodus, which is the first accounting of the, the, uh, this, uh, the Exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land. But in Deuteronomy 5, 27, uh, we see that the uh, an account looking back at what has happened there near the end of the Exodus. And uh, Moses is looking back for the people, a whole new generation. And the, he recounts how he, their, their fathers and mothers had told him that they didn't want to hear God uh, and see all the wanderers at Mount Sinai that were there because they were afraid. And he, they, they told him, go nearer yourself and listen to everything that Yahweh our God may say and then tell us everything that Yahweh our God has told you. We shall listen and put it into practice. Again, very early on, uh, the people said, Moses, you are the one to talk to God for us. You be, the, you be the intermediary. You be the one to go between our people and God and come back and tell us what God has to say. And so it's very, it's, again, they didn't do that. They didn't do what God had said. Now, we can look again at Joshua 24, 21, or actually Joshua 24, 19 to 21, and we see Joshua uh, telling them this, basically the same type of thing. He says, Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve Yahweh since he is a holy God. He is a jealous God who will not tolerate either your misdeeds or your sins. If you desert Yahweh and serve foreign gods, he will turn and maltreat you anew in spite of having been good to you in the past, will destroy you. The people retired to Joshua. No, Yahweh is one. We mean to, pardon me, Yahweh is the one we mean to serve. This is when Joshua told him, 
Choose who you're going to serve today, whether it's going to be the real, true God, the gods of Egypt, the gods in the land that you're here. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to serve Yahweh. And, of course, again, we know that the people didn't do what they said they were going to do. And, and again, I'll say, that's us. We say, I'm going to follow God, follow God's law. I'm going to lo know, love, and serve him uh, in a, as, as a, a child of God. And yet, we are disobedient children so frequently in our lives. And we understand that, but do we do it? Then it goes on to say, Moses then wrote down all the words of the Lord, and rising early the next day, he erected at the foot of the mountain an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. So let's go back again to Exodus 34, 27 and 28, where it says, Yahweh then said to Moses, put these words in writing, for they are the terms of the covenant which I made with you and with Israel. He stayed there with Yahweh for 40 days and 40 nights, eating and drinking nothing. And on the tablets, he wrote the words of the covenant, the 10 words. Uh, it's interesting that in, in, in the Hebrew, uh, it, can be this, it can be 10 words, 10 commandments, uh, but it's what God has spoken to him. So he's wrote, written down what God has spoken to him, and that's what he was commanded. And he, again, he has this 40 days. And as we say, there's always this time, this number 40 means a time of preparation and separation. Jesus, 40 days in the desert, the 40 years in the desert for the Israelites, uh, the 40 days uh, of Elijah, of his travel from the southern part of Israel to Mount Sinai, where he met, encountered God. So it's a time of preparation for Moses to be prepared to go and talk to the people. Uh, we, we don't know exactly what all went on there, but we do know that Moses and God had a very special relationship. And Moses, even from the people's perspective, Moses was their intermediary. And from God's perspective, he was God's mediary. Now, the 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. This isn't the only time that, that we see this. Now, when in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses, or pardon me, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, as they're getting ready to cross the, uh, the Jordan, or the people are already starting to cross the Jordan, it says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, Yahweh spoke to Joshua and said, Choose twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and give them this order. Here, from, from mid-Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing, take twelve stones, carry them with you, and set them down in the camp where you pass the night. Joshua called the twelve men whom he selected from the Israelites, one man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Go ahead, go on ahead of the ark, Yahweh your God, into mid-Jordan, and each of you take one stone on his shoulder, corresponding to the number of tribes of Israel, to make this a sign among you, when in the future your children ask you, what do these stones mean for you? You will tell them, the waters of the Jordan separated before the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, and when it, uh, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the river separated, these stones are an everlasting reminder to the Israelites. The Israelites did as Joshua ordered. They took the 12 stones from the mid-Jordan, corresponding to the number of tribes of Israel. As Yahweh had told Joshua, they carried them over to the camp and set them down where Joshua erected the 12 stones in mid-Jordan on the spot where the feet of the priests carrying the Ark of the Other Covenant had stood. They are still there today. So this, again, the number 12 is a number of God of, of perfection for God and completeness. 
So there's one stone for each of the 12 tribes. And this is a memorial. It's, an, it's a symbol of the covenant. It's a symbol of the covenant that God made with the people of Israel uh, at Sinai. It's a symbol of the covenant, its completion, and, the, and the, the completion of that journey and the covenant that God made with the people. And we, we see that, again, then having said in certain young men of the Israelites to offer holocaust and sacrifice young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And we can look again at 1 Kings uh, 18, 30 to 32, and when Elijah was on the mountain, Mount Carmel, and he, he, he uh, proved himself more capable and more powerful and worshiping and serving a true God rather than the false gods, he was able to defeat the 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah said, then Elijah said to all the people, come over to me, and all the people came to him, and he repaired Yahweh's altar, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, again, the 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, corresponding to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come. Israel is to be your name, and built an altar in the name of Yahweh. Round the altar he dug a trench, the size to hold two measures of seed. So the 12 is important, and, and just like there were 12 apostles because of the 12 tribes. So he, they did this, and they offered the sacrifices. Moses took half of the blood in large bowls. The other half he splot, put it in large bowls. The other half he splashed on the altar. Now, why would he do that? Well, the, this is, if you look in the book of Leviticus, it, there's, it goes into great detail about doing this, that the, the blood, the, the life is in the blood. And as we will see even in, uh, maybe in some scriptures that we look at when we look at the gospel, the people were told not to drink the blood of any animal because the life was in the blood. And God, the blood belongs alone, alone to God. So they give the author, they put it, place it on the altar for God. And the other half, taking the book of the covenant, he read aloud to the people and answered all that the Lord has said, we will heed and do. So they're saying it again here. They said it up here in the first part of this passage, we will do everything that the Lord has told us. And here they said, all that the Lord has said, we will heed and do. Then he took the blood, this is the blood in the bowl, and sprinkled it on the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words of his. In First Peter, we see that same type of thing going on. It says, In foresight, God the Father, to be made holy by the Spirit, obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace to be yours in abundance. So this is a foreshadowing of the spreading of the blood of Jesus Christ for our salvation and to make us holy. The idea that the blood here was part of the covenant uh, in, the, in, the, in the desert means that it's a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus, as I've said. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words of his. So this is what's going on. Now in 1 Peter, uh, there's a note in the New Jerusalem Bible that says, The people promised to obey God's commandments and to seal the covenant. Moses sprinkles with the blood of victims. On the Christian use of this text, see a reference to the blood of Christ in Matthew 26, 28, which I believe is our, our, uh, our, our gospel reading in Hebrews 9, 18. So with that, we're going to go, we're going to stop right there, and then we're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to go to the gospel, 
and read what the gospel is. And this is the gospel from Matthew. Oh, pardon me, it's actually from Mark. I'm thinking it was Matthew, but it's actually from Mark. Since we are in ordinary time now, Mark 14, chapter, 12, uh, chapter 14, verses 12 through 16 and 22 through 26. And you have parallel passages in Matthew 26, 17 and through 19 and Luke 22, verses 7 through 13. And we will take a look at those if we have time today, but we, perhaps we won't. Uh, I, I, and the, uh, there's a note on this in the Jerusalem, New Jerusalem Bible. It's note D for Matthew 26. It's, it talks about, uh, which is the parallel passage, they have come to the Passover supper itself. The rubrics for this solemn blessing of the bread and wine are laid down exactly onto this ceremony. Jesus, Jesus grasps the sacramental rites of the new religious order of things which he institutes. So Jesus took the worship of that the Jews had laid down, uh, had been laid down for them in the Old Testament, probably in the book of Leviticus. I haven't looked it up. And he has taken that and he follows all of those. And then he adds on top of that the institution of the Eucharist. So let's go on and look here. Uh, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they offer sacrifice the Paschal lamb, he said to his disciples, his disciple, Jesus said to him, uh, pardon me, Jesus' disciples said to him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal? To eat the Passover. When he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a water jar. Follow him. Now this isn't without precedent in scripture either. We see in 1 Samuel 10, 2 to 5, that uh, when Samuel anointed Saul king of Israel, he gave similar uh, sort of oblique type of instructions to Saul. And it says, after Saul, Samuel said to Saul, after leaving me today, this is Sam, 1 Samuel 10, 2-5, after leaving me today, you will meet two men near the tomb of Rachel on the frontier of Benjamin, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you were looking for have been found, and your father has lost interest in the matter of the donkeys and is worried about you and wondering, what am I to do about my son? Going on from there, you will see, you will come to the Oak of Tabor, where you will meet three men going up to God at Bethel. One of them will be carrying three kids, one three loaves of bread, and the third a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you must accept from them. After this, you will come to Gibba of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And when you are just outside the town, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from a high place, headed by lyre, tambourine, pipe, and harp, they will be in a state of ecstasy. So there's precedent of these miraculous signs as, as that someone that has been called by God is to follow. The apostles here obviously have been called by God. They've been called by Jesus Christ. And he's telling them in a rather strange way that you do these things and you'll find out where it's supposed to be. Go and find the man with the jar of water. Uh, one of the commentaries which I saw indicates that this is it was unusual for a man to follow, to be carrying the water. Usually it was done by a woman, and that the men were taller than the women in general, and so this man would stand out as unique in the crowd uh, carrying water. And it, Jesus tells him, follow him. Just like Samuel told Saul to follow the the uh, the priests that were going to uh, offer sacrifice, follow him wherever he enters. You say to the master of the house, the teacher, 
says, where is my guest room? So they're not, not only to follow him, they're go to go into the house where this man is taking the water. So obviously this man is a servant rather than the master of the house. And so the master of the house, Jesus talks about in several of his parables, doesn't he? He talks about if the master of the house had known at what time the burglar was coming, he would have stayed away. And it talks about the master of the house being gone and coming back and the, the, the servants should find, he should find his servants awake. Where is my guest room? Now that word really means a lodging place. So it's almost as though uh, this is a bed and breakfast type equivalent, uh, perhaps, in uh, Jesus's time. Or it could be that Jesus had made arrangements ahead of time. Or it could be that this person uh, knew Jesus was familiar with the place. It, it, it really isn't clear in the scriptures how this came about. But we, we will we just assume that that somehow it happened. What is important here is the obedience of the apostles. They didn't, they didn't even question it. It would seem out of the ordinary to me if someone told me, go into town, you're going to see somebody carrying a jug of water and uh, go follow him and go talk to the person that runs the place and, and ask him for the room that's yours. Uh, it seemed, almost seems like if it was prearranged, it almost seems as though it is something that came out of a spy movie, doesn't it? It says, then he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations there. So this is the upper room where the Last Supper was was taken. It's also the upper room that we saw in the uh, readings for the Feast of Pentecost, where everybody was, where, where the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. So these, the disciples went off and off, entered the city and found it just as he had told them. God does not lie. Jesus told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God doesn't lie. So we have to understand that, that God does not lie. Uh, and they prepared the, the Passover. So not only did they find out that Jesus had told them the truth, They had been obedient in following, looking for the man with the water jar. They found the man with the water jar. They found the person that ran the facility in which uh, the man with the water jar entered. They asked for the room. The man said, here it is. And then it says, and they prepared the Passover. So they were obedient in a lot of different things that they could, could have done something else differently. It says, while they were eating, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. So again, he, he is following the rubrics for the Passover meal. Uh, and you can look, you can look at those passages in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25, and Luke 15, 22, 15 to uh, 20, uh, Matthew 26, 26 to 29, to, to look at these parallel the parallels of this. Take it and Take it. This is my body. Okay, so where this brings to mind after he had fed the 5,000 and he had the conversation in John 6, and we're going to look at verses 53 and 54, or 53 through 56, pardon me. In all truth, I tell you, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Anyone who does not eat my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life. And I shall raise that person on the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in that person. Again, we when we talk about this passage frequently, we, we, we see the shock and the dismay and the disbelief among most of the listeners because it was strictly forbidden for Jews to uh, eat a person. It was strictly forbidden for them to drink the blood. And yet Jesus is saying, this is the only way that you can have eternal life. And here he's telling them again that take it, this is my body, and take and eat. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And they and they drank from it. Excuse me. And that repels. So why would they drink from the cup? Let's go back and look at John chapter, or pardon me, Mark chapter ten, verses thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Remember, uh, James and John wanted to ha- be seated in his kingdom when Jesus came into his kingdom. As one at his right and one at his left. And Jesus asked them a question then. But Jesus said to them, Do you know what you are asking? Can you drink the cup that I shall drink, or be baptized with the baptism which I shall be baptized? They replied, We can. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink shall that I shall drink, you shall drink, and with the baptism that I am baptized, you shall be baptized. So this this blood, Jesus is is using the Last Supper to talk about his his death and pouring out of his blood and his flesh. Uh, he is the sacrifice. And if you look back at the first reading, we see that they go on, they had a communion sacrifice with the, the with the, the animals that were sacrificed. Jesus is our communion sacrifice. Uh, and God has planned it that way. He, he showed the people that they should have been able to see what this was, but they couldn't make the leap from the old to the new. And so often we have that same problem. They drank from it. They all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which will be shed for many. So this is that same blood. Uh, And so it's, again, let's look at Leviticus 17, 10 to 11. It says, if any member of the house of Israel or any resident alien consumes blood of any kind, I shall set my face against that individual who consumes blood and shall outlaw him from the people. For the life of the creature is in the blood. I have given it to you for, for, for performing the rite of expiation on the altar for your lives, for the blood is what expiates for a life. So in Leviticus it's saying that it's the pouring out of the blood that redeems us, that, that, that through which there is the forgiveness of sin. And we don't always think of that as, as being the case, but that is what it is saying. But, and, it, and the people had such a hard time with this. And Jesus himself told them in Matthew 20, 28, the apostles, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, that idea of ransom, that redemption of someone. Uh, you pay a ransom when someone is is kidnapped, right? So what do we, and in John 8, 34 to 36, Jesus talks about anyone who sins is a slave to sin. The the slave's place is not assured in the house, but the son's is. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he is coming 
to ransom us, to take us out of this captivity. That's what Jesus did. Uh, I think we need to look at the, the note on Matthew 6, uh, part 26, note I. It says, at, at Sinai, the blood of the victim sealed the covenant of Yahweh with his people. And that's Exodus 24, 48, which I believe is our first reading. So on the cross, the blood of Jesus, the perfect victim, is about to seal the new covenant between God and humanity. The covenant foretold by the prophets, say in Jeremiah 31, 3 or, and 11, Jesus takes on himself the task of universal redemption that Isaiah assigns to the servant of Yahweh in Isaiah 42, 6, 49, 6, and 53, 12. Uh, we can also see Hebrews 8, 11, 8, 8, 9, 15, and 12, 24 that talk about the idea of a new covenant comes also in Paul a number of contexts quite apart from 1 Corinthians 11, 21, 25, which shows the great importance and so forth and so forth. So he is, we have both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that the blood is what redeems us. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of animals that we tempted to redeem us. And now in the New Testament, it is the Jesus blood. I shall not drink the fruit of the vine again until the day I drink it in the new, in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And apparently Jesus went to the Mount of Olives frequently because uh, Judas knew where to take the people to find Jesus. Now, let's take a quick look at the second reading. We may not have a lot of time to do that. It's from Hebrews 9, 11 to 15, and we're really out of time today. So we're just going to, I'm going to go through a few highlights here. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit. Hebrews 4, 14 to, to 16 talks about, since Jesus is the Son of God, we have the Supreme High Priest who's gone through the highest heaven. We must hold firm to our professional. Jesus is the High Priest. And we see that throughout Hebrews that he's a High Priest. And he's entered a sanctuary not made with human hands or belonging to creation. That happened when he, he, he uh, was ascended into heaven. But he not, and it says again, it's talking back, it's, it's, he entered the sanctuary, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus attending, attending eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and grain, go, goats and blood, bulls and the sprinkling of heifer's ashes can sanctify those who are defiled so that their flesh is, flesh is clean. How much more will the blood of Christ? And we've been talking about that all along. So with that, I'm going to kind of close it up today. Uh, I want to ask you, that: are you ready to believe fully in the Eucharist, that it's a body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people that don't. God the Father chose to send his Son into the world that we might be saved. Jesus told us that he would not leave us orphans. One of the ways he did this was through the Eucharist. Choose to make this Eucharist one of the ways. Unite yourself with Jesus, either through both through reception of the Eucharist and adoration of the Eucharist. With that, I'm going to close. God bless you and hope you have a great week.